Yeah, I'm in the same boat, and I I figure if if that's not the case, and they do actually want to talk to me, then they'll leave a message, yeah. and I can get back to them. Oh, the absolute worst thing ever. Speaking of office culture, is when someone goes, "I called you," but they didn't leave a message. They're like, "Well, if you called me and didn't leave me a message, it wasn't that important." Yeah, and you cannot hold me responsible for not calling you back to be like, "What did you want?" Like, no, 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 no. Don't make me do that work. Don't call and hang up and not leave a message and give me homework to do. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, when when they say that, it may as well have been they opened the door and they went, Ben! <laughs> the same right. same thing. Like, let me know what you need. Otherwise, it doesn't count as a phone call. Yeah. we. So uh, here at the house, we're looking at upgrading our HVAC system. And the fellow who did the whole pitch, which was quite well done, uh, wanted us to know that he was more of a texter than a phone caller, to which I replied, then you are much more likely to get a response from me. <laughs> so, yeah. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this, and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. I, Steve, let's do this. Let's start here today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. How do you feel about texting in a professional sense? Like, if your boss were to want to communicate primarily via text, how would that make you feel about your boss, the job, the whole deal? That's an interesting question. Um, I, my gut says I wouldn't mind it so long as the texts weren't coming at all hours of the day. Like, so, so long as my time was still respected. I feel like a phone call maybe puts a little bit more of a buffer there because um, they have to actually pick up the phone and call. But I don't think I would mind. Okay. I warn my staff that I am a big texter, but I also let them know, which I feel like is the missing piece of the whole texting puzzle. If they don't get back to me, I don't, it doesn't hurt my feelings, right? Especially if it's not during work hours. If I'm like, let's say we're serving, cause I work at a school, we're serving in classroom lunch for whatever reason, right? Uh, our space is being used for a presentation or something, you know, whatever it might be. If we're doing upstairs lunch, if I text down to the kitchen for something, yeah, I kind of want a response right away. But they're being paid by me at that point. Like if I text any of my staff members on their day off and they don't get back to me, doesn't bother me in the slightest. Yeah. Right? And generally when I text my staff, it's not with questions anyway. You know, like I do this over the summer. I've texted my entire staff as a group text three or four times throughout the summer kind of to make sure that they're all doing okay and kind of to remind them that I do in fact want them to come back to work for me in the fall, you know. Yeah. I don't know. We should I should probably look into that and see what sort of uh issues have arisen from that cuz I'm sure I'm in the minority. I'm sure there are horribly abusive bosses out there who are like I texted you yesterday, you never get back to me and the employee rightfully so would be like <laughs> you're not paying me to text with you during my off hours so yeah. go hump a stump you know well you know i think that part of the the uh um being an outlier is is the job that you're in because i think most everyone else has a slack channel or something that they're communicating through oh yeah so they don't need to text because they that's the way it's they're being communicated with and uh they you know when they turn their computer off maybe then uh 
or, or do they just ignore their computer? But it's still, it's the same thing. It's just a different, you know, different avenue. And they probably have Slack on their phone and, and get the messages that way. And their boss can get mad at them for not returning a message that was sent, even though they're not working. Um, I had not thought about that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be part of the conversation, and we do welcome that, because otherwise it's just going to be Steve and I talking to each other all the time, which I enjoy. I presume <laughs> Steve enjoys. Uh, if you want to be part of this, best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. If you have my phone number, you can text me. I'm not going to give it out here. Uh, my Instagram is Chef Ben Randall, which I am on distressingly often. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds WBR.com. And I have a question for all of you, because it's Steve, I had forgotten about Slack, so thank you for bringing that to my attention. I've never used that, and I've only ever heard people complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a method of communication with your staff members, if you're in charge, with your teammates, if you are not the one in charge, with your boss, with your company, whatever, that happens outside of work hours but you're still held responsible for that information if you love that system please let us know if you hate that system please let us know because that tends to be funnier uh, and we will absolutely whether or not you can tell us if you want your name involved in it but it is one of those things where i remember back in the day having said that caller id was invented by a cook who didn't want to get called in on his <laughs> or her day off right boss calls you and you look at it and you go <laughs> nope and you hang you don't pick the phone up right uh i still firmly believe that but now you're absolutely right steve like at my job because i have more of an office job than i want to lots of people have my phone number so i get phone calls and texts i have an email address that is specifically my job related there's also google uh, gchat and if i'm not checking all three of those things all the time there's like very important information i can miss and i've let that get away from me so i've been trying to direct everyone back to email because at least that way i have a paper trail and with an email there's a built-in time buffer someone texts me with something they need that shit right now and they suspect that i'm going to be on gchat all the time too which i am not and then they're going to be like why didn't you do this thing? And I'm like, well, what thing are you talking about? And they show me a Gchat from like March, right? Well, I don't check that shit all the time. Gchat is gangster chat? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to wear your hat sideways to the left uh, <laughs> if you're going to be on that thing. Um, yeah, so I would also say uh, turn off your red receipts. Uh, oh, or 100%. You're, so that they people don't know if and when you've read the stuff because if if they can see that you've read it they're going to expect a response um, right away. I, it's it's worth telling the story again although it doesn't really apply to my job. I have fallen into the trap of being salaried which I don't mind at all because it is steady income no matter what and I, just by my nature my boss wins because I work more than I should. That's fine. I am aware that that's what I do and it means that when I do take time off I don't feel guilty about it at all because I'm like you know what that 70 hour week I put in a couple weeks ago we're even now you know but there was a lady in Texas who was working from home throughout the pandemic. And then her boss said, everybody's coming back to the office. And she said, nah, I'm good. I've been doing my work from home. There's no reason for me to come back in the office. And he was like, no, everybody comes back. And she goes, okay, but I really don't want to. And it hasn't affected my job performance at all. And her boss said, nobody works from home anymore. So she was like, all right. So she goes into work that first week and she goes home on Friday, turns off her email 
turns off her, like, sets her phone to airplane mode or whatever and turns off either Slack or Gchat or whatever that Teams, Microsoft Teams, something like that. Right. Gets into work Monday morning and her boss is like, hey, I needed something from you over the weekend and you didn't pick up. And she goes, I was told I can't work from home. And then apparently there was a long silence and she was given some sort of uh, ability to work from home after that. (laughs) (laughs) So guard your free time, ladies and gentlemen, especially if you're in my industry, if you're in a restaurant, uh, guard it jealously because your bosses will take it from you as much as they can, mainly because we're still, Steve, in a hiring frenzy. We are still trying to bring in cooks. We're still trying to retain staff and whatever we're doing in the industry ain't working things are yeah. still fucking rough out there for hiring which i am doing right now um and and there's this uh there's the bs about um well you know it just proves that you're not a team player um but i don't i mean the major leaguers don't show up if they're not getting paid right yeah they're not yeah. they're not doing stuff even when they go in and do workouts they're getting paid right yeah millions of dollars <laughs> um so you know if they want to be a coach to have you be a team player then they need to be paying you uh, for all that uh okay external Sorry. stuff everybody who is in my position don't listen to this <laughs> but if you are an hourly quote team member and that's one of the things my company does all the employees are quote team members capitalized t capitalized m that's always a shade of a red flag just a little bit where it's like no i mean because you're right steve we wear baseball caps but we are not baseball players we are not necessarily on a team first everybody who works for me is employed first if i build a team based on that fine but they're employees first right and so yeah you're right bosses are the ones who will say and they'll use it as a hammer they'll say well you're not a team player what a boss means by that is why are you making my job harder what a boss means by that is i need you to do more work and i'm not going to pay you any extra that's what a boss means right yeah that's why i don't say shit like that i've had people say shit like that to me in the past and it always is associated with we're adding these responsibilities to your job and you go oh cool so you're adding more money to my paycheck and then the boss goes ha 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 and walks away so yeah. team player is well it's the same as when you apply for a job and they go we're all family here like, fuck you i'm out no way <laughs> red flag yeah. family now, gets abused my- <laughs> right oh so this is a domestic great uh yeah. My company uses the phrase team and the nomenclature of team members in the best possible way. And I am going to defend my company. We try. We really do try. But ladies and gentlemen, even if you work for my company, you're an employee first. You are an employee first. That is a that's a negotiated transactional relationship where you are giving your work to the company and they are giving you money and recompense. The team thing comes later, and that's only if the boss is doing their job right. Yeah. Yeah. Do I have a team? Yes. And in fact, I've had my employees refer to each other as teammates. I've had that come up. I had one. This, it took me off guard the first time I heard it, but I have a relatively new employee who, when things are like really cranking, she'll go, look at your team, chef. And I'm like, that's adorable and a little weird, but I'll take (laughs) it because that's how she feels. That's how she feels about it. I'll take credit for that. Part of that culture is what I have developed. However, you can't develop it without the right people in place. So it's as much their credit as mine. 
but I'm not going to impose that on them. I'm not going to be like, yo, we're a fucking team. <laughs> it just feels weird. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's definitely better if it's grassroots. And I, I get it that team sounds better. I mean, if, you're, if you work at Disney, regardless of whether you are in a show in the park, whether you're a ride operator or whether you're scraping poop off the urinals uh, because um, some people have never seen a urinal before and <laughs> do whatever they want in it, um, you, you're a cast member. Yeah, that's their nomenclature. And it's just it's a lot of it's just corporate speak. Um, yeah. But I mean, uh, you could also be like, yes, this uh, this is my kitchen ensemble. Uh, wow. <laughs> or how many people do you have? There uh, are, well, there are six positions. I currently have five people employed. Yeah. So this is this is my sextet. Is that seven or six? Yikes, uh, that is six. Uh, yeah. And the fact that they're all women and I am not, that would make that complicated. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot of words that, that uh, could be used, but yeah, team is usually what's gravitated toward. And I, I feel like, I mean, what's the best rejoiner for that? If they're like, I just don't feel like you're, uh, um, you, you are a member of the team or whatever. They're like, oh, I'm a member of the team, but I'm the GOAT, so yeah. <laughs> I need a little more. I mean, the best thing to say back to that, if a boss says to you, well, that doesn't sound like a very team membery attitude or whatever, is you say, yeah, no, I've been meaning to talk to the coaching staff about how they're fucking terrible. <laughs> because it, it uh, once again, everything is top down. And that's the reality of basically everything. But specifically to my in industry, I almost said injury, which is kind of hilarious. Too. <laughs> Nobody who is at the top wants to admit that Kitchen culture, restaurant culture, front of the house culture, the whole deal is top down. If the dude in charge is an abusive asshole, guess what? That's what everybody is going to see as being the norm. And when they move out and they open their own place, they're going to be the same thing, right? If the person at the top is a, a, a weakling who lets the customers roll all over him and doesn't back up the service staff when Karen's are yelling at him, that's also what the service staff learns, right? So, like, it is all top down, no matter what. No matter yeah. what. But people in my position also don't want to take, we want credit, not responsibility. That is 100% what my industry looks like. We are people who are <laughs> after uh, approval and credit without taking responsibility or uh, working too hard. We do all work too hard, but we don't want to. Are there any restaurants that are uh, co-ops owned by the cooks? I don't know. I'm sure that's happened. But if so, they've not gotten the kind of press that gets to me. I only hear about bad news. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> also, speaking of, um, going back, backtracking a little bit, would you, um, I, this wouldn't be appropriate for your operation, um, but if you were working in a just a standalone restaurant somewhere, would you, as either a cook or a server, want like open table or whatever to send you notifications um, throughout the day about, uh, hey, this reservation just came in, like before your shift, so you're getting this information before you even go to work? Unless I was management, no, I would not want that because you have a sense of, it's a Wednesday, we're prepping pretty hard for the weekend, but it's not going to be so busy. You have a sense of, it's Friday, so I better have my shit in order because we're going to get plowed. But, like, getting up-to-the-minute updates are just going to add anxiety and nervousness and stuff like that to it. Not for me, but I can see this being the case. I can see people using that to call off. Be like, it's a Tuesday, right. it's supposed to be a slow day, and there's a 20-top party that just uh, made a reservation. <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah>. I'm sick. <laughs> uh, especially for 
Well, I mean, really for anybody. I was about to say especially for servers because I still have that latent hatred of servers. But <laughs> no, that's anybody. And I certainly wouldn't want... Not that I would want that information hidden from the staff, but I don't think it's fair to burden them with all of that extra information that isn't going to change anything anyway, right? Like, yeah. yeah. If there's going to be a 20 top on a Tuesday, you're still going to have to serve those people regardless of whether or not you find out about it three days in advance or when you first come in. Now, should people be warned when they first come in, hey, this is what we're looking at for the night? Yeah, and everybody does that anyway for the most part. Where it could be handy is if it's 15 minutes before closing and the kitchen is alerted that a uh, six top just showed up that would be great that's never going to happen because again my latent hatred of uh, service staff i think that there's something about servers that when you come down to the end of the night they steeple their fingers and they're like oh i hope a six top shows up so i can ring it in 10 minutes after we've closed officially and not tell the kitchen about it so that they turn everything back on because fuck them right i think that servers still feel that somewhere nobody's been able to convince me otherwise what if we created some sort of system like they have in some parking garages? You've got two two number boards back of house, one with red numbers, one with green numbers. And uh, so it's like uh, parking spaces in the parking garage. Right. So the one will, uh, or maybe you'd need three boards. One is the number of people currently in the dining room. Um, but then the green one would be number of, of uh, meals of those that have gone out. Sure. And and the, then the red one uh, is uh, the number of uh, uh, yet to be served. Right, right, right. Whatever. Um, and then if you're getting cl- close to closing, then the numbers just tick up automatically when people sit in the chairs or whatever. And you're like, oh, now we've got six more people in the dining room. <laughs> Sensors. I've seen in places where, I mean, it works out in a, an open kitchen where you can just see people coming in. But I've seen places where there's cameras in the dining room because there's security cameras and there's a feed into the kitchen. Or at least over the front door kind of a thing so that you can see the traffic. Uh, I don't know. Gamifying it feels like it would be a distraction. Because you're still going to see the tickets anyway. So, like, the red tables out there, if they have their order in, you already know how plowed you are. You know, because of the ticket system. I don't know. Maybe we should just go to all open kitchens so the cooks can see what's going on out there all the time. Yeah, see, this is – but uh, I think it's a strong argument against open kitchen as well because (laughs) walking into a place and seeing um, people's faces fall and uh, (laughs) how crestfallen they become because I just brought eight of my friends into your restaurant two minutes before you close. Yeah, I've also seen where – like I was at a coffee shop in Antioch, Illinois last weekend because we went camping. And this was very cool. The coffee shop had a big sign up because they did breakfast and lunch. That said, kitchen closes one hour before the coffee shop closes. And I was like, that's fucking rad right there. Because first off, why not? Especially if you're doing lunch. Let's say you stay open until 2, doing coffee, right? 6 to 2. Sounds about right. You cut lunch off at 1. Great. Then that way you know, A, you've got staff that have basically a hard out, right? Because like kitchen closes at 1. They shut everything down. They're out by 1.30. Great. You can schedule around that. You can budget around that. You can write... um, appropriate yeah schedules and such like that however when people still come in between one and two you they had a pastry counter they had ice cream stuff like that so people could still get you know cold food but right off the bat the kitchen staff and the kitchen was right there anyway it wasn't necessarily extensive the kitchen staff know it's not like we're closing the doors at a certain time and people might come in right at that moment doors are still open for a bit the food is cut off i liked that a lot 
I really, I really did dig that. And it seemed like something they had not opened with because it was a handwritten sign on paper that had been posted. Yeah. So I wonder if it was a change that was, you know, prompted by the staff being like, yo, when somebody comes in at two o'clock in the afternoon and wants an egg sandwich, can we tell them to go hump a stump? Yeah. I mean, bars operate like this all the time, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, you walk into a bar in the middle of the night, the kitchen's not open, you can get a drink, but you're not going to get, you know, maybe you can get some nibbles, but you're not going to be able to get anything right. uh, from the line because that's that's closed. And it seem, that does seem like just a, a great way to be able to actually budget for uh, um, a payroll. Yeah. Because Staffing, that, yeah. That, that's a huge expense for restaurants, right? And it's a huge unknown expense because it is all based off of sales. It is all based off of traffic. And so, yeah, you're right. If you are – ladies and gentlemen, if anybody works in coffee, I would love to know what the numbers are. But coffee to me seems eminently profitable because the amount of beans it takes to make a large amount of coffee – and I've been drinking a lot of coffee at coffee shops recently and spending a fair amount of money for it. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, the bean to water ratio here is skewed heavily on the side of water. So I'm paying a lot of money for actually a fair amount of just water. So coffee shops are probably a pretty strong money-making enterprise. So if you are going to have food as well, which is more labor intensive, uh, probably commands a higher price for the labor itself because people have to be trained in it and all that. Food is more expensive, whatever. Yeah, cut that off an hour early so that you can send the expensive staff home and you're not putting out expensive product to you and you're still making bank off of that bean water for another yeah. hour. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it seem, it would, I think it would make sense for um, – other restaurants too i mean if you've got a texas roadhouse or whatever because then it's like yeah you know people are going to want to stay and eat their meal and you yep. want to give time for that but shut the kitchen down get those people out of there because that's you know the, the a that gets them out so they can go have a life somewhere um yep. and then b you don't have to pay them to hang around um waiting for that final uh, order to come in or whatever if people have just walked in and then if, if you walk in after that or whatever it's like well sorry <laughs> the the last thing i wanted to say about this as far as like team members and all that goes is I don't have it in front of me and I feel bad. I'm going to have to, um, you know, essentially recite from memory, but there was a, in the Chicago service industry, Facebook page, people will put up these flyers or notices or whatever that owners put up in their restaurants that are many times completely bonkers. And I saw one that said recently three of you quit on the same day. This is very disrespectful to your teammates, some of whom have uh, lives and children that they have to take care of, and now they're having to. And this included the manager as well, who was writing the notification. I'm supposed to be at my daughter's uh, soccer game right now, and instead I'm, I'm trying to hire more people. From now on, no one quits on the same day as anyone else. Organize this amongst yourselves. Also... We require three months notice. Like this thing went on and on and on. From now on, we require three months notice of quitting. Your pay will be decreased to this amount and you will be required to train your replacement. If we cannot replace you, your, uh, your quitting is not valid and you must continue to work here. And I read that and I was like, the first part of this is stupid. And the bottom part is just like wildly illegal. And all you're doing is encouraging your employees to not give any notice at all and just stop showing up, right? Like that's yeah. all that is. So ladies and gentlemen, for sure, if your boss tells you, you quit, so we're decreasing your pay. Keep in mind, broadly in this nation, that's illegal. 
Yes. And you can go right to your local or state labor board and say, hey, guess what? This restaurant needs to be shut down because this you cannot, as an employer, simply change someone's pay. You, that's not that's not a thing you can do. And you certainly can't change their pay out of retaliation for them quitting. That's right. that's also like very illegal. So if you see anything like this, oh, man, social media, that shit up and also contact the labor board. Yeah. I saw I don't think it was the same one because the some of that was missing, but I did see somewhere else um, online or unless you sent me something, the sign that was like, uh, if you don't give us however much notice, we'll reduce your pay for the last however long you're here. I was like, yeah, I yeah. don't think so. Again, uh, that's not how it works now. And if if you want to sue them for those back wages, you can. But it's just easier and far more satisfying to tell the labor board about it, because then that's. No cash out of your pocket for a lawyer and all that, and they will get into serious trouble. Simple as that. Uh, the attorney general of your state also has a labor relations office, which I discovered when I uh, got a whole bunch of people fired from a dentist office once. <laughs> yeah. I I think it the I think you're right. It's like the first half of that was stupid. It just got stupider as it went because like uh, no one can quit on the same day. I'm pretty sure that's not how quitting works. Yeah, <laughs> quitting means uh, you don't get to tell me what to do anymore. So if I've quit, you can't say, "Oh no, you can't do that. You have to show up tomorrow." Because guess what? I quit. Yeah, and again, I've said this before, and managers don't want me saying this, and they don't want to believe it, and all of these things but two weeks notice is a courtesy it is not required legally by anyone anywhere ever it is simply a human courtesy it's polite to say to your boss hey uh i'm leaving your employ and i am going to uh work somewhere else now particular jobs might have rules that you need to have explained to you when you first hire on like my job does if you don't give two weeks notice you're not rehirable by my company that's not a legal issue that is them saying you now have a qualification that we don't appreciate and we're not gonna look at you to employ later on right and it's a rule that's told to all of the staff when they first hire on so they're made very well aware of it and they're i mean their employment laws are weird because you can't be discriminatory about things people can't change but like my job could say look no blue socks or you're fired and that's a thing that as long as we're upfront about it, it's totally okay for the company to require that and you as an employee have signed on knowing that. However, you are not legally bound to give two weeks notice to fucking anybody. Keeping in mind that if they're going to fire you, they're not going to give you two weeks severance. They're not going to give you any sort of notification. Right. right? They're just going to can you. So. Think about that power dynamic if you feel like you're stuck in a job or you feel like you are stuck working your two weeks notice. Fuck them. If you're quitting anyway, you must be dissatisfied with something. So I'm not saying ghost me. I've had a number of people do it and I haven't enjoyed it. But like <laughs> you don't owe your boss anything because of the transactional nature of your employment. You give them your labor. They give you money in return. And that's the extent of it. When you were... Um or I guess this is still a could still be a thing, but um, whenever you've transitioned from one job to another, um, my understanding is that usually you have the other job before you put in your notice to the first job. Yeah. Uh, or at least a large percentage of the time, right? And that is that's for safety's sake as well as for uh, anything else because uh, 
they could just can you on the spot. Yeah. So I'm A, a little bit of a coward, and B, very much so uh, brainwashed into this giving two weeks notice thing. And C, it's a nice uh, hook. So if I'm interviewing and they say, can we get a hold of your current employer? And I'll say, you know what? They don't know I'm looking for a job. At that moment, the interviewer gets nervous. And then at some point, I'll force the issue in the interview to answer their question, whether they asked it or not, about my availability. And I'll say, I won't be able to start until after I've given two weeks at my previous, at my current job. And then that way, the new employer knows that I at least care enough about that job to not just leave them in the lurch, right? Because yeah. anybody who's going to ghost in an interview to work for you is going to ghost you when they find their next job, right? So that's yeah. just, you're just learning about that person. So I want to be able to tell a new uh, hiring manager or whatever, I still have obligations to my previous job, even if I don't, right? I've given notice, proper notice. Everywhere I've ever worked, although I will not say I've worked out that notice, famously in my career, there was one where on my very last day of my notice, I was, quote, fired by the chef because he thought I wouldn't give him my best work on my last day, which is how much he knew me, which was great because he gave me a Saturday off. So I was like, all right, sweet. And then he yelled <laughs> at me, don't even think about trying to get unemployment for this. And I said, I am in no danger of being unemployed because he did not know I was starting a new job on Monday. Why the fuck would I tell him, right? So there's that. Um, I've had people, like, I don't understand the not having a job thing where I've had people leave, you know, coworkers, or I've had people leave who were employees who were going to just nothing. Like, I don't get that at all. But I also have a lot of responsibilities financially, family, house, all that kind of stuff. So I have to be more careful. Yeah. It's also, I think, um, your sixth sense about uh, your first rat off the <laughs> ship. Uh, yeah sort of thing so uh that's kept you in uh employ yeah well the other part of it too is that you want good references down the line as you move up into you know management positions if that's what you end up wanting to do and if you've just left a trail of bodies you're not going to get good references off of that right and if you also <laughs> like if you if you ghost a place and you let me, let me put it in concrete terms the last time i was hiring this hasn't happened yet but it will happen again the last time I was hiring, I received an application from someone who had ghosted us previously and did not put the uh, time that this person had worked for us on their resume, right? So there was a hole in the resume, and of all of the places this person had applied to, I think I was the only one who knew what that hole was because it was me. Right, And I was really tempted to reach out and be like, how fucking stupid do you think I am that I would, A, entertain the notion of hiring you again, B, go around my company's rules because you did not give two weeks notice so I can't hire you, and C, what are you even doing, right, that you would apply to work at the place you had ghosted two years ago and did not put on your resume? Like, the fuck, man? However, when this person applies to other jobs, there's just going to be like a nine-month hole in their resume that they can't explain. Because if you go somebody, you don't put on your resume. Yeah. Because they are, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it's oh, illegal-ish, but chefs talk to each other. If you put a restaurant on your resume that you ghosted from, 
there's a chance even if you don't list him as a reference i might know the chef there and i might give him a call anyway and they might say hey hang on a second you've called me on my office line but i'm about to step out uh let me give you a call back on my cell phone and you go oh okay cool and five minutes later they call and they're like you don't fucking hire that guy he's the worst right like that sort of thing yeah that happens <laughs> a lot it's called blacklisting it's against the law we do it anyway i've had Just that happen Boy, when was the last time I had that happen? Because it was it was strict like that. It was like, do not hire that guy. I forget when it was. It was a while back. It's just the grapevine. It's the uh, yeah. kitchen grapevine. So, to bring this all together, I am hiring right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the Chicago land area, I would say northwest side of Chicago is probably the or northeast side is probably the best place to be. Because that's roughly where my job is. I am hiring. We're changing our approach to our service model this coming year. We're going to be offering more variety. We're going to have more fun. And I am in need of a server for the line. So this person's job is going to be split in half. It's going to be half prep in the morning, half serving throughout the late morning and into the afternoon. Set up, break down the whole deal. Uh, It's less complicated but it's still not easy work than a lot of the other stations in my kitchen all of the other pieces are in place everybody in my shop plays nice together and it's great i just need that one last person i have gotten 40 or so resumes so far maybe 45 because we do uh advertise through indeed of those five got the green check mark from me of people that i want to get a hold of but zero of them have i am i actually interested in like really excited about so we'll see how this goes i have a month to be able to hire somebody we start back up august 11th i sent you a couple of uh which i'm not uh, i'm not here to rip people's resumes apart but like if your objective was clearly put together by an ai machine learning bot don't apply to work for me well also if all of your experience once again i i am looking for a server who has cooking experience in the northeast side of Chicago. If all of your experience is Amazon Warehouse in Augusta, Georgia, I am not interested in you at all. Some of these are like AI that's like really inexperienced AI. It yeah. it seems like it's written by a robot, but like a robot that's running on a uh, you know forty six uh, or a, a, a Commodore computer. I feel like we do this around this time every year, but ladies and gentlemen, once again, let's say you're looking for a job, but you don't want to work for me. That's fine. Lots of people don't. It's eight trillion people on this planet. Most of them do not want to work for me, right? So if you want me to look at your resume, feel free to email it to intheweedswbr at gmail.com. I will look at it and send it back to you with edits for here is what chefs are looking for hiring managers are looking for when they look at a resume right the two big things the two huge things for me at least and i feel like i'm in the majority on this spell check that shit right you're not writing the way that you talk to people that's not how i write when i write a resume i'm not like fucking you want to hire me bro like that's not how i write a resume you want to be slightly more formal than that you want to spell check it you want to do you can do a grammar check on your word processor of choice right also tailor your resume to fit the job you're applying for if you have forklift experience and you're applying to be a sandwich artist don't include the forklift job nobody gives a (laughs) shit nobody cares about that explain your gaps in your employment during the interview if you did two years at an amazon warehouse that's fine lots of people did this 
uh, pandemic sucked for a lot of people and they had to take jobs that were not within their skill set. That's fine. Explain that during the interview because it'll come up. Hey, what did you do for these two years? And you can say, look, I didn't put it on there because it wasn't relevant to this job. I did what I had to to survive. Everybody gets that. That's fine. So the two big things, fucking spell and grammar check your shit and tailor it. If you're applying to be a sandwich artist at Subway, only put your restaurant work on there, dudes. (laughs) I don't care if you were a hallway monitor at an old folks home. Don't care. That's not relevant. What if you're applying to be a manager at a Subway? Do you put down when you were a manager at an Amazon warehouse or when you were a manager at a library <laughs> manager experience is manager experience that that cuts across and the other thing is that like yeah if you were a food handler at the airport right and really all you did was package the the little trays of hot food that goes in there keep it because kitchen work is kitchen work is kitchen work right same thing with management right if you managed a call center for AT&T okay that's still management like that a lot of those skills still apply communication organization uh, computer work whatever nice i don't necessarily especially if it's primarily an office job i don't necessarily if i'm hiring a manager need somebody who is a really good cook that's a bonus i need somebody who can write an email that doesn't sound like someone's talking that sounds like a crafted document yeah well okay so here's a question um and I don't think there's any good good answer that I can think of. But how do you differentiate when you're looking through resumes? How do you differentiate between um, uh, laissez-faire resume writing and um, English is not a first language uh, resume writing? Tricky. Very, very tricky. So a lot of that comes down to the person's name. You know, if somebody's name is clearly not like Smith, yeah, and the resume itself is written in a way that's that that is clearly broken English, that's fine. I've had a couple of resumes come to me completely in Spanish, and I don't mind that one so much because I can chuck that into Google Translate. And if the resume is in Spanish but it's all restaurants, more the better, man. Give me, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to sound racist, but it's racist for good, dude. Give me a Mexican line cook any day any day of the week these are the hardest working people i've ever encountered in my life right are they great resume writers oh maybe not dude ask your high school age daughter to help you with it they know how to write a resume kids who are in school know how to write a resume and they're better with computers than you are gross generalizations but i love these people so much and i want them to work for me so that should not be an obstacle by any means however if your name is like brad smith and your resume has no punctuation, no capitalization, and is full of spelling errors, get fucked. You, uh, that, if your resume is that uh, shoddy and sloppy, that's how your work is going to be. That's how your work in my kitchen is going to be. If you're not paying attention to where you are displaying your best self in an application, then your worst self is going to be pitiful. It's going to be awful. I don't want that. <laughs> Uh, when we were getting our mortgage for this house, the uh, mortgage broker, is that what yeah. they're called, the, that we were in touch with, um, when I first read the first email, I was like, English cannot be this person's first language. I mean, the, the email was horrific. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is f- for a bank for <laughs> like, you know, 
tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, so it's like this, you know, you just expect a level of professionalism. But my thought was, well, you know, if English isn't their first language, then I, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm fine. You know, it's not a big deal. And then I spoke with the dude on the phone and I was like, you know, zero accent of any kind. Wow. And I was just like, how, how did this person get this job? So I'm, I'm of the opinion now that literally anyone can become a mortgage broker. <laughs> um, you just need to take whatever quiz that is to get whatever uh, number that is um, to, uh, you know, that, that they have to give you on the phone when you get in touch with them. Hey, I'm so-and-so and my whatever number is blah, 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 blah. Have we just cracked the... Uh, underwater mortgage housing crash of 2008 is it because of people like that <laughs> maybe is it because of really badly constructed emails and i also have no idea what he did for us i i, I think it was just <laughs> sincerely just some data entry because there yeah. was nothing that he did that i could under, um conceive he needed some information yeah um but i don't think he was making any decisions lord i hope not um <laughs> And uh, and then he couldn't help in any way when it was like, uh, well, my wife works for a tech company and they don't have a landline for you to yeah. be able to check to make sure that she's employed. Luckily, they did have one that just wasn't plugged in that maybe came with the building. So they were able to find a phone and plug it into it and <laughs> get a phone call. And, and she wasn't the only one looking to buy a house. So it helped some other people, too, I think. But it's like uh, can't help with that at all. So uh, he was just a, I mean. He, he should have been AI because AI probably right. could have done that job just as well or better, but can't uh, can't work in food service AI. Well, and the other thing is, because again, doing all of these applications and such in my industry via computer, relatively new. I've said this before. I remember we lived in Kalamazoo, 1997. I remember going physically to a restaurant dressed in my chef gear, knife roll in hand, two copies of my resume, and standing in line outside waiting to walk in with a group of whole, a whole other group of aspiring chefs, fucking cooks, to get a chance to interview in person with a front of the house manager who was clearly hungover and bored out of their mind, hoping <laughs> I would get a chance to cook so they would hire me. Finding out before I got to the door, the job had been filled, right? Like, I remember that. That's how we've done this in this industry since, I don't know, 3000 BCE, right? Applying online for a job, doing a phone interview first, then doing an in-person interview, that's new in the last 10 years in any sort of a useful way, right? Like, I, the fancy hotel I worked for downtown used a service that I had to apply through, which was super clunky, an online service where you couldn't just import your resume. You had to go through and uh, do data entry, put all of your resume componentry into it. Fine. Now you have websites like Indeed. You have websites like Craigslist and LinkedIn and things like this. At this stage, while it is new, there's also no reason whatsoever to do it badly. I don't mind a template. Give me a resume template any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Where you just have to fill the fields in. You can even do an objective. Objectives are always really dumb. And if you're objective, ladies and gentlemen, if you want me to 100% call you for a phone interview, make your objective. My objective is to make all the money in the world and stick it in my ears and move to Aruba. Because that's <laughs> the only reason to work is to make money. Anything else, if your objective is, I oh, should I read one of these, Steve? 
Or is that is that rude? There was one objective here that was mind-boggling. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're going to give anybody away, um, right, by reading an objective. Okay. This is an objective, ladies and gentlemen, that I saw in a resume, and I'm not going to say anything else about it because it is – this is one of the ones that looks like it was written by AI. Quote, seeking to obtain a position where I can utilize my diversity work experience, comma, that which will give me the chance to build my work experience to become a valuable team member to the organization. I don't have any idea what that means. This sounds like <laughs> someone grabbed a number of buzzwords like experience, like diversity, like team member, and then crafted a snowball of nonsense around it, right? There was no that crafting. <laughs> That is an objective that I clearly look at and I'm like, you're not going to work for me. Because it's dumb. It's really dumb and it means absolutely nothing in any language, right? That's not a language barrier issue. That is nonsense. So I'm not going to hire that person. But if you make the objective silly, because you're lying unless you say you want to make money. Nobody, you're not, this is not an application for a volunteer position. You want to make money. You want to be employed so you have money so you can like buy food and shoes and shit. Just say that. Honestly, I would look twice at a resume that said, I need to make money so I can buy food and shoes and shit. <laughs> <laughs> However, if your objective is something like, yo, I've been in restaurants for a long time and I need to get into something that's a lot more stable because, man, restaurant people are crazy. Okay, I'm looking at that resume. Yeah. If your resume has all the nonsense that I just read. No. no well, no. And, and you can definitely look at whatever job it is you're applying for and try to craft it a little bit toward that. So, yeah, yeah for you, um, for your organization or for, uh, for where you are, someone that's like, I need to get out of restaurants because they're, I need stability. That's totally yeah. a thing that resonates with what you do, even if there's a, a, a couple months, two, two and a half months or whatever it is in the summer when they are, um, you know, have to have to find something else. Um, there's the stability of time when they're, you know, for the rest of the year, as well as the whatever salary they're going to get for the rest of the year. Uh, so, yeah, that's something that works for you. That wouldn't work for a regular kitchen job or, or cooking job right. at, a, at a restaurant. There you need right. to say, I'm things are way too stable. I thrive on anarchy yeah. and, uh, um, you know, yeah. need somewhere to sell all this pot. There um, the buzzwords are, I'm a rock star unicorn who wants to be ground down and I'm a team player all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like like that's what, uh, it, to some extent, well, no, Starbucks, um, even when I worked at Starbucks, and this is like 10 years ago now, um, they were using AI to uh, to read the resumes, and they were right. just looking for the buzzwords. So I bet I could have put something together like this <laughs> and gotten um, an interview, um, and until a human actually looked at it and was like, this makes no sense, I'd be like, no, but it's yeah. got a lot of keywords. Um, because it would that, be funny to have an objective that is just those keywords and isn't actually constructed sentences. Yeah. <laughs> just a bunch of hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I do not want to invent more barriers to entry. I do want to hire with the broadest brush I can, right? So, like, let's mix that metaphor all up. But, like, I don't <laughs> want to say you have to and then have all of these qualifications that are outside of the job requirements themselves, right? Which is how barriers to entry work. I want to hire people who want to work in my kitchen, doing the kitchen work, and also in this particular case, the serving work. But you can set like a radius within a city, like Chicago, the most um, segregated city I've ever lived in. 
I could set a like a zip code radius that would exclude black people. Because in this city, again, super segregated, black people primarily live in the south side of Chicago, right? Oh, we're a city of neighborhoods, motherfucker, it's segregation, right? So I don't want to do that. Even though it's a bummer to get to our location from large portions of Chicago, I don't want to say no to people unless when I do a map search, they're like an hour 15 away. That's I don't want to saddle somebody with like, oh, this job is great. I commute two and a half hours a day. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. But there are barriers to entry that I could intentionally put in there. Like, your English has to be perfect. Otherwise, you cannot work for me. Like we were talking about earlier. Give me a resume in Spanish. Fuck yeah. I'll handle that part. But if I can see that you're not putting the time into it, and there's really no reason for that. Like, you can do a resume on your phone now. Like, things are so... You could go to the library if you don't have your own computer and get a computer. That's what libraries are for, right? Like, there's no good reason... Aside from time, and I know some people have time crunches, that's fine. No good reason to turn in, to me, a real shitty resume. Unless unless it's your first job. And I've seen a couple of those, too. I've seen a couple of kids apply to work for me. But I also get the feeling these are kids who are applying for kind of everything. So there's yeah. that. There should be, uh, or I don't know if that about should, but it would be interesting, like, if it's like, okay, if this is going to be your first job, let me know where else you're applying. Because if all those yeah. places are restaurants, then you know that they want to work in a restaurant. Sure. But if it's restaurant, Jiffy Lube, uh, Kmart, um, they're going to be way out of luck because there are no more Kmarts um, unless <laughs> they're going to start one. But, you know, if it's just, if it's real scattershot, then maybe they're legitimately looking for something that maybe they'll be interested, maybe they won't, but then do you want to take that risk? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, like, on my side of it, do I want to saddle somebody with having to work in restaurants forever? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that just seems rude. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else to say about hiring? I am not disappointed yet. I'm not discouraged yet, right? So, like, right off the bat, I got a whole bunch of applications for the most part they're either laughable through like eh, maybe like at most i'm like 80 percent excited about the one person that is the most qualified uh but there's nobody who i'm like okay sweet i've got to call this person right now like i'm gonna give it at least another week so it'll be midweek next week that i start actually reaching out to people because i'm not gonna buy the first pair of shoes i see you know that whole thing yeah yeah uh, it feels like the last time I tried to hire, things were scarce. This feels worrying, though. Like, I'm not discouraged yet. I'm not disappointed yet. But it does feel like, uh-oh. Because I got, within the first couple of days, a lot of applications and then nothing for the last <laughs> day and a half or two days. And, uh, yowzer. That's, uh, like I said, it's got me a, a shade worried. Have you ever tweaked the, or I don't know if you even can where you were at, but, uh, look, have you ever posted a job looked at the resumes you got and been like you know what i need to change that posting i could i could do that uh i have not but i could do that um i know that you you're you just get such an interesting mix every time but uh yeah i, I was like you know what um somewhere for some reason oh, these are all steel workers so i need to reread that and find out where i misled people into thinking that i wanted to hire a steel worker part of it you're not wrong part of it is the particular platform indeed that we use right in your title where i write prep server they will match with people for you that have quote service experience right that yeah. could be exactly what i want that could be call center 
because yeah. that still counts as customer service. That right. could be, uh, I worked the desk at a dentist office and now I hate Ben Randall, right? Could be any number of different customer service things, right? So I don't fault them for that. And there's no good way within that platform for me to adjust for that. I, I read every resume I get. I look at every single one. And uh, a lot of them, it's that. It's like, you know what? If you were essentially a housekeeper at an old folks home and that somehow translates into customer service for you, it doesn't for me in yeah. this hiring season. So that's on me. Like, I don't mind sifting through those. I'm not getting thousands of resumes. Uh, so it's not like it's taking up a huge amount of my time. And it's also, it can be kind of fun, too, to just, like, see people's career paths and see where they're going and what they're doing. Because it is interesting to just see how that goes. Is Indeed the only place that they post? Do they do LinkedIn and other things as well? or Each thing costs. Mm. So I have a budget for hiring for every year that I try to blow out at the beginning of the year, obviously. But Indeed does cost, and it costs against my current active budget. So I could post on Craigslist, I could post on LinkedIn. Indeed does the best job for us as far as generating those things. And one thing that Indeed does that the other two do not, Indeed will look at your posting and suggest your posting to people who may not see it otherwise. And that one, uh, that, that component of it has been really helpful. Now, at one point, I did reach out to someone because it looked like a good match. And I had not noticed that it said, uh, like, matched by Indeed or whatever. And the immediate response was, I didn't apply to work for you. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, okay. That's a wild, aggressive response. <laughs> yeah. Tells you everything Yowzer. you need to know. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> indeed now which is a new feature and i don't know where this comes from because it feels weird in the past maybe it does come from this in the past i would because it's there's two things you can mark an application a green check mark and a red x you do red x and it moves them into one folder which is rejected and you do green check mark and it moves them into shortlisted right it's a good way to organize. Now, when you hit red X, there's a button that says, let them know. And I'm sure it's not the intention of Indeed for it to be that dire. But I think <laughs> I texted you a screenshot of that. It really does sound like, yo, hit this button to tell them to fuck off. I'm like, no, 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 Indeed. I, I don't want to interview them, but I don't need to, like, ruin their day, too, you know. I've applied to thousands of jobs yeah. in my career where I just never heard back. That is the answer. Somebody's reading those resumes. Somebody's looking at those applications. If they don't get back to you, that's what that means. It means they don't want to talk to you. I don't need to be like, and also you suck. Like, <laughs> that just feels like too much. Yeah. The only time I've ever felt like I absolutely needed to hear back or should have heard back is if you interview me. If you interview me, then I, I appreciate it if you let me know. Yeah. Uh, um, because I, then, then I'm not waiting with, you know, bated breath. I'm like, do I have the job? Do I not have the job? I only do that after in-person interviews. So the way that my structure goes is I get a resume I like. I send them an email with as much detail about the job as I possibly can. Confirm that they want that position. Set up a time to do a phone interview. We do a phone interview. And then if that goes well, I set up a time to do an in-person interview. If that goes well, that person will hear back from me one way or the other. No question. 
Right. I have the same issue that a lot of people have right now, which is the job market is tight. And so people are doing interviews at a dozen places at once. And so getting people to come in for an in-person interview is tough. If there are any companies out there that are hiring over the phone, they're beating me because I'm adding an extra step. Yeah. I don't want to hire anybody over the phone. Two big, strong reasons for that. First off, I want my staff to see them. I want my staff involved in the hiring process. And also, I want that person to see the operation, right? Like, we should both have all of the information all the time. Yeah. I've taken one job over the phone in my career, and it was that dude I told you about earlier who fired me on my last day, and I will never take a job over the phone ever again. Not a chance in hell. Yeah. <laughs> he was just waiting for some other poor schlub to accept a job <laughs> over the phone before firing you. Like, had he gotten someone sooner, he would have canned you sooner. Such an odd choice. I would never fire somebody going into a Saturday uh, service. <laughs> it, that Everything about that was weird. <laughs> That's all right. That was 20 years ago. So, <laughs> clearly it left an impression on me, but I also sort of don't care. Yeah. Stress has aged that guy 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's get away from hiring woes and stuff. Although, as we get closer to the beginning of the school year, I say we do a whole episode that's about, which we've done before, but let's do it again. Uh, resume writing, interviewing, how my stuff's going, all of that. Sure. Let's do what we should have done at the top of the episode, Steve. How's your garden? How's how's your growing stuff? How are your tomatillos? They taking over? Uh, the plant is ginormous. I don't <laughs> know if any tomatillos are growing. I've never grown tomatillos. It's it's had uh, flowers like crazy, um, so, and I think there are some uh, primordial tomatillos in there somewhere, sure. but they're not uh, they're not very big. Um, we've got a few tomatoes. The one has uh, the one tomato plant has a tomato on it. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it's gonna like any more gonna happen. The others have some tomatoes, none of which have been ripe yet. We've eaten one zucchini. Um, oh, nice! Fr from the zucchini plant, and we've eaten some zucchini blossoms. Um, so that that one has been so far, I guess the uh, the highest producer because it's produced something. It, some of the pepper plants look like now they have uh, peppers on them, um, and some of the, the others have flowers on them. So they're just uh, like we started late, so I don't know if anyone has actually harvested any peppers yet but uh we've got that and then i had one tiny tiny little thing that may have been a habanero uh that uh that died and then there's another tiny one that might be the same thing or another thing that sort of like that like maybe a hot wax pepper or something that's still only like an inch and a half tall it looks healthy in terms of it's got a lot of leaves it just has not grown hardly at all since we put it out there so that's where we stand for clarity, ladies and gentlemen, do not put a hot wax pepper anywhere near your nether regions. That's a very bad idea. That is <laughs> not, not what that is for. That's not what they're for. Uh, interesting. So we've had such, I don't know about you, but we've had such up and down rain. Yeah. Where we'll have no rain, and then we'll have all the rain, and then we'll have no rain again. I don't know if that's what's going on by you. I, not. I, we haven't had all the rain like you guys did. Like, we haven't had any flooding or anything. Um, I don't know. You guys just had a deluge the other week but uh, yeah so buddy we haven't had lost that. his car like he didn't misplace it like his car was destroyed because his road flooded up to the point where his engine was submerged wow and he had to get a new car like that's how bad I, I still blame nascar that was during the nascar races which hilarious that all of that happened during the fucking worst idea chicago's ever had which is the nascar races there are city streets this was over the fourth of july weekend there are city streets in chicago that are still not open from nascar yeah so whatever NASCAR paid to Chicago, not enough. But yeah. 
my four cucumber plants and my black zucchini have completely exploded and taken over everything. And that was the idea. They're climbing up the side of the chicken coop in the backyard and they're shading the chicken coop itself, which is awesome. The black zucchini, you know how like some squashes will creep along the ground and put out flowers all along those creepers and some look like a a stop motion of an explosion that's this one and all of the zucchinis that have grown from it have grown out and then down and they've rotted right on that because they're not on any of the vines there's no vines it's all giant leaves sticking off yeah i think i'm going to get rid of that plant because it's not doing what i want it to do and i'm going to plant something else that can climb up the side of the coop like snap peas or something like that right so that's going to be fun now the, I, go ahead we i that's how i thought it was going to be more like a pumpkin plant as well when yeah, we planted yeah. it so i have it in a bucket and it's just by the fence and you're right it, it looks kind of like a slow motion mushroom cloud kind of a yep. thing going yep. on the other thing we realized when we um were like hey let's let's eat some zucchini blossoms because we've never made those and let's play around with it delightful by the way yeah um but uh so then and kayla's like hey did you know that there are male and female flowers out there and i was like i did not know that and it's um so the little zucchinis are the female ones and then there's the other flowers without the tiny little zucchinis yeah and if they don't get pollinated then they'll just die yeah and rot um i don't know if that's the issue you're having or if it's just the the touching of the ground but uh it it said you can take a tiny little paintbrush out there and do it and i did pollinate one that may have been pollinated anyway and that's why i don't know we might have to plant something for pollinators out here that might be the problem with the tomatillos we and and why i only have the one tomato on the one plant um is maybe they're not we're not getting enough uh stuff pollinated i don't know i'm thinking about doing the same thing because planting uh flowers and such for pollinators because i have you know i've got those seven tomato plants the seven varieties and they're doing okay. So I have one called German Johnson, which is producing these enormous round, like beefsteak looking tomatoes. I have three individual plants of the midnight snack, uh, purple cherry tomatoes. That's going bonkers. Lots of flowers, lots of tomatoes. I have one called Tigerella, seven or eight actual tomatoes, but it's not that they're fine. They're just doing okay. The San Marzano's going bonkers. I've got probably a dozen tomatoes on that plant. The peppers that I have, the largest pepper I have is probably a quarter inch long. Those are those are still straggling. I have a I have another couple of tomatoes and I forget which ones they are. Black Trafel is doing okay. It's not doing great, but I have another plant, I forget what it's called. Tons of flowers and they're just dying. The fl- the plant looks healthy, the flowers yeah. pop out and then they die. And so something is not happening as far as pollination goes with that plant. And it makes me wonder if I'm supposed to have two of them. Uh, right. So that they can pollinate each other. I don't yeah. know the answer to that. But if this particular one doesn't grow anything this year, I just won't plant it again. Yeah. yeah. You know that I don't know if that's that we ours are Livingston tomatoes, so I don't know if that's the deal with them or not. I tell you what though, our Roma tomato plant is going like gangbusters. Yeah. Lots of lots of fruit on that one. Um, but yes, I, this is me not being a gardener. I didn't look into any of that. Like what, what um, I did see, because at one point we're looking at a cherry tree that I forget what cherry it was. It was like, you need two of these. Or you won't get any cherries. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a good insight. We had the same thing. We're continuing to think about putting fruit trees in the backyard, but like we need to get the soil tested. And it anytime we dig in the backyard, you go down about five or six inches and it's just like gravel and fill and stuff like that and i'm like i wonder if my because there's a weird 
concrete strip next to the garage that like a, a perpendicular to the garage and i'm wondering if our lot at some point was a road oh because it looks like like some point like a hundred years ago yeah because it does look like the backyard got sodded over just like <laughs> gravel and so <laughs> i don't know that we'd be able to plant something like a tree something that would need a big strong root base unless we got like a Kubota and dug out a giant hole and filled it with nice dirt I don't know. We do have the raised beds that I think my tomatoes are doing okay in these like three and a half gallon tubs that I've got them in. But for next year, I'm either going to go into the raised beds with the tomatoes or I'll get like wine barrels, like something way bigger. Yeah. Because I also feel like the tomato plants, they're not holding on to water well. And I just don't know that they have enough going on under the surface because they all do seem to be struggling right. a little bit. Also, They've been getting too much sun, which I didn't realize was a thing. I had to look this up. I'm learning a lot about growing tomatoes. Tomatoes want six hours of sun. In my backyard, they get like 10, right? And I also have my coffee and my avocado plants outside. So I recently, two days ago, put up a screen tent in the backyard and put my avocados, tomatoes, peppers, and coffee plants in that screen tent. They still benefit from the rain we're getting today a little bit. But it keeps the wind off of them for the most part, and it keeps the direct sun off of them. So we'll see how that goes. Nice. But we're talking about, like, yellow, crispy leaves on some of these plants. Yeah. That might be some of my tomato. My tomato plants are every... I did everything in full sun, I think. So, um, yeah, I'll have to check. But like I said, the Roma one's doing great. But part of that is because um, uh, the two Livingston, and I think we have a black cherry tomato um, that... Uh, all of those are growing like they're a skeletor or <laughs> some sort of skeleton and the right. Ro roma tomato plant is is more like a bush and so any any oh, okay anything that gets under it is shaded so it's going to hold on to the moisture in the soil a little bit better because it's not just the skeletal <laughs> remains of a plant where the right. sun's getting all the way down um so it, I'm okay with it for the others because I I planted way too much, way too close together. Um, so I've got some onions underneath my tomato, between my tomato plant and my tomatillo plant that if they weren't so spindly would not get any sun. Um, so, uh, and it's it, that's weird because I have like two onions that I think are really doing great and the rest are like, yeah, I'm, I'm an onion, I guess. Um, so I don't, th those might be tiny, tiny, the, the, what, uh, shallots? <laughs> ah, right on. <laughs> or something. They, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to go full onion on for me. Yeah, all of the garlics that I sprouted, and there were eight of them, I planted those in the boxes that my wife now thinks the dirt is no good. Like, not uh, nutritious, not rich, you know? Yeah. And also full sun. So they all died, but I think it was a combination of all that. Because I was watering them just fine, and they came up. They were doing well, but I think there was not enough going on in the soil, and I think that it was also just too much sun. I think they got burned up. Yeah. I know I, I got some dirt that was real crappy. I, we talked about that when I got it. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to, um, before next year, I want to put some raised beds between the sidewalk and the street out on the one side of the house so that I have a little bit more room for tomato roots, like you were saying. Yeah. And um, I, I want to um, mix the soil a lot better so that all the crappy stuff isn't kind of together. <laughs> so I, because I, I don't, I, like the one, I don't know why it died, other than I was reading that some peppers like more of an arid climate. So maybe it got too much water. The one that I put in the bucket and died? I don't know. And it could have just hated life. Yeah, not not enough drainage? Certainly not my problem. My yeah. tomatoes keep drying out, which, again, the speed at which they're drying out, I think, was also tied to the full sun. So moving them into that screen tent is good. I'm also going to 
the dirt has compacted in the bucket, so I'm going to put more dirt in it. I'm going to put mulch on top, too, which helps to, uh, right. A, keep weeds down, which I'm not that worried about, but I do have, like, some clovers and stuff growing in with my tomatoes. And also, it'll help with shading the dirt itself so that it doesn't dry up. Yeah. So I still don't have a pickle or a tomato empire. I did pick five cucumbers yesterday, and I'm going to... Pick, uh, start my pickling stuff with those nice these are the kirby's the um winter sweet or whatever the other cucumber is that i planted uh, they haven't th there's a ton of baby cucumbers on there but they're very very small ah so well gherkins is, is that <laughs> i don't know i don't know if they're little and immature or if they're mature and still kind of tiny i don't know i don't think i've ever grown gherkins well, the uh, we were watching some British thing when we were trying to figure out when to when to take the one zucchini we've got off the off the vine or is it a vine? I don't know if the yeah. off the explosion, zucchini explosion, <laughs> um, and uh, courgette. He was calling them courgettes, um, which is yeah. a term used in part of the world for zucchinis. But I guess then there's you can also take them when they're like finger length. Um, oh. And, and eat them there because you're harvesting the immature anyway because if yeah, you let it get yeah. mature then that's for seeds or whatever but uh so we, well, that was interesting so you just needed to harvest your black zucchini before they um when they were their teeny tiny when they're baby baby zucchini maybe i mean i was also hoping for like a really distinct color and they just look like zucchinis and so i left <laughs> them and then they landed on the ground and and rotted and i don't know my chickens loved them i gave them to the chickens oh good yeah <laughs> so they, it hasn't been all for naught no 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 and i again this is this is experiment year right because we just moved to this house we didn't have a garden last year we're messing with the dirt we're messing with the mix of things that we're growing like the idea of growing something that shades the chickens is working out great you know so whatever i may even cheat and go to like a garden store and see if they have snap peas or green beans or something like that already sprouted and ready to go that i can put in that can start climbing the side of the chicken coop right now as opposed yeah, to yeah. waiting for them to germinate and all that yeah yeah because it's pretty late in the season for that kind of thing yeah oh man speaking of I planted a bunch of basil seeds into a small clay pot and put it in my windowsill, and all of them came up. It was like 40 basil plants, <laughs> just this massive basil forest in this tiny little pot, like coffee cup-sized pot. And I was like, I'm just going to cut them all down and make pesto and whatever, and I thought, that's short-sighted, right? So I've been clipping the tops and using them and whatever, and then there's this Instagram I follow who's this dude who's just like obsessed with doing everything yourself, right? So his thing is, if you cut a basil stem at a 45 degree angle and put it into a glass of water after five to ten days it sprouts see uh, uh roots right it germinates or uh, propagates and so i was like really so i did that with one and it totally worked so now i have five more of them going in different little <laughs> pots on my uh, windowsill and yeah i'm gonna have a basil forest it's gonna be great i'm just gonna have basil all over the place nice and it totally works uh i was shocked at how easy it is i may never buy basil again what side of the house is the window on that um, for that? Faces southeast. Okay. Just wondering if we have a window that we could do that in. Well, it'd be better once we have it get a few windows replaced because we're still uh, um, working on getting some of that done. But, uh, yeah, that we'd, I, anything to grow that we could grow indoors and year-round like that would yeah. be great. Yep. And then with basil, all you have to do is make sure you're cutting just above where two leaves come out. And that encourages the plant to grow out rather than up and it's not going to hurt it at all 
Oh, nice. So then you get two for the two for one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to kill the original plant. You can cut. So like, let's say it's a four inch stem and there's like three sets of two leaves that stick off the side. And then the top has that two leaves with the other bud on top of it. You cut down above the like second set of leaves counting up from the bottom propagate the thing you cut leave the other thing and it those those leaves then will grow out bigger like big old basil leaves nice yeah and it's i trimmed the tomato plants too that was one of the things that i learned when i was looking at like hey should i have these out in the blazing hot sun all day um if you carefully trim your tomato plants where you have like down closer to the ground within six or eight inches of the ground you have these huge stems that stick off the side and they're all full of leaves but there's no tomatoes on them you just cut those off and then it forces the plant to put more of its energy into the fruit itself rather than making more leaves yeah so i went through and obviously i cut off the ones that were dry and crispy and whatever but then i went through and i trimmed them up and i made them more you know presentable and uh tried to corral them a little bit because they had also while i was gone in traverse city they had grown sort of out of their cages a little bit and you yeah get get them back under control you know come on tomatoes yeah, they like to do that. They're unruly. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm just going to, like, throughout the summer, I'm just going to check on them every day or two, make sure they're not, again, getting too unruly, and water them when they need it. Now that they're in that uh, screen tent, though, it's a much more controllable environment. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. And there's um, enough space in there that during a rainstorm, I could go sit out there and read a book, and it would be very uh, soothing and calm. <laughs> now, you say you're going to make some pickles. Did you try the pickles yet that... Uh we gave you i have not had an opportunity to yet no that's all right it's just really a segue to get into the pickle festival kayla and i went to yeah. pickle festival um and uh this is it, this was in Berrien springs not too far from us and so so it's it was definitely a festival unlike the maple syrup festival we went to in vermontville which of all places we felt like should have been more <laughs> of a festival celebrating the thing but this was just a one-day thing in Berrien uh springs and um yeah, it was all, everything was pickle related. They had p vendors with pickles. They brought in some pickle people from other places. And um, yeah, um, they just oodles and oodles of pickles um, and, and pickle things. And you just sent me the pa uh, Pasty Olympics. Yes. Um, from M Live, which again, sounds like one of these things. It's only four hours, which I think is crazy because this sounds like something that should be more than that. But yeah. um uh, I don't know how many they've done, but it is one of those things that also is like, this is something celebrating the pasty, which is if you're going to have a festival for something, this they call the Olympics, but it it sounds like this is a thing that's really celebrating the pasty, and I love it. Yeah, and you know what? It made me just want to make pasties. I sent that to a buddy of mine who's from Kalamazoo who vacations up in the UP a lot. He's got a camper van, and he was like, let's go right now. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> we're working that day. Uh, but uh, I can just make pasties, which I might do. I might do the thing yeah. that, like, every grandma in Michigan does, which is I might make, like, 40 pasties and throw them in my freezer. <laughs> I, th I, 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 I think that is also great. I mean, um, and now that we have a garden, I mean, this seems like the next step, right, is, is making yeah. some of this stuff and, and canning and freezing and, and doing some things. And, uh, yeah, pasties are definitely something you can do that with. Um, so the Pasty Olympics are going to be in Calumet in the UP, Keweenaw um, County, it looks like. Um, and it is a it's from noon to four on August. Um, 
Oh wait, Pasty Eating Competition and the Pasty Olympics opens July 22nd. Where did I see August something? I don't know. Um, oh yeah, described as an incredibly zany and quirky event, the 19th annual. They've been doing it almost 20 years. Um, in the Upper Peninsula is scheduled for noon to four on August 19 um, for the quirky event. And it's so pasty centric, it's great. Um, they're gonna have a kind of a strong, um, a strength competition um, because it's the Olympics. So someone's uh, going to pull or drag a truck loaded with pasty ingredients. So it's a not a tractor pull, it's a person pull. Um, there's a relay challenge, teams of chefs to assemble a giant pasty with pool noodles and mops to get it into a quote-unquote oven for a final bake, award for fastest time, uh, most appetizing and best team costumes. Um, this is one of several events this year Organizers previously announced the world's first pasty art prize competition in which artists from across the UP will have the opportunity to submit pasty-themed artwork. Um, so yeah, this is just all about a uh, love affair of pasties. A crowd favorite, the pasty eating competition, also returns. Uh, challengers take the stage to see who can devour the most pasties in a five-minute span. The current record is 4.5 pasties. Uh, so... It seems that I don't know how big these are, but uh, or if um, what's his name from the hot dog plate hot dog eating competition wants to get in on pasty eating, but it seems that one a minute is uh, is not even one a minute, almost one a minute. How quick, what did I miss? How quickly, Ben? Do you think you could eat a pasty? Well, not quickly. That pasties, seems. Go ahead. Oh, so that seems to be the rule. But what were you going to say? Pasties while I love them, suffer from the hot pocket phenomenon, which is when they are fully cooked, they are like 9,000 degrees inside. <laughs> and because it's made entirely of fairly dense stuff, right? Carrots, beef, onions, potatoes, rutabagas, that sort of thing. It holds on to that heat. I feel like that's not a bug. That's a feature. When these were originally yes. designed for like the nickel mine workers, they wanted something that would remain warm. You cannot deep throat one of those right like you cannot just inhale something that's that hot on the inside yeah the one thing as compared to a hot pocket it doesn't have a sauce inside so it's not like it's gonna be it's gonna stick to you and burn you but it is gonna be really really hot and i don't want a cold pasty either the middle ground like not lukewarm not a thousand degrees not cold the middle ground on a pasty is hard to hit so for frame of reference the hot dog eating competition, it looks like the record is 76, and I think that's in 10 minutes. So that's what? About 7.6 per minute, right? Yes. The uh, the pasty eating competition, the current record is, um, in a five-minute span, four and a half pasties. <laughs> I mean, yes. Also, a hot dog is not a meal. Yeah. A pasty is like a meal plus. Yeah. Like if you, ladies and gentlemen, if you've never had a pasty, I encourage you to have one. If you don't like it and you feel like it's kind of terrible, that's also not a bug. That is a feature. <laughs> it will generally weigh, what would you say, Steve, between 12 and 18 ounces. Like the thing yeah. is easy a pound of food, easily a pound of food, if not more. Yeah, I mean, it might as well be a rutabaga eating contest or a <laughs> potato eating contest. I have um, yet, in my life and my professional career, I have yet to have rutabagas that I enjoyed outside of a pasty. 
Like, don't yes. just give me a rutabaga. I don't want that. I don't if think if it's not in a pasty, I don't want that pasty. I don't think I've had a rutabaga outside of a pasty. Hmm. Um, but what else are they I in? Either. I don't know. <laughs> the ground, I guess, is the <laughs> answer. <laughs> I believe I've had a well. Okay, so that's a lie. I have put rutabagas in with a mixture of other vegetables that I've roasted under a turkey for Thanksgiving. Right? That's parsnips. That's sweet potatoes. Sure. That's, uh, celery root that's rutabagas that's butternut squash you put all of that onions and garlic down in the pan that you're roasting your turkey in so all the turkey juice lands on top of it guess what you cannot tell the difference between those vegetables they all taste like delicious turkey juice yeah they're there for mass that's it <laughs> you're not going to take one bite and be like "Woo, this is a rutabaga no you're not you don't know yeah that. so we're not we shouldn't expect to see like rutabaga fries uh anytime soon I don't know how they would fry, because they don't have quite as much starch as, like, a potato. I get the feeling they would just be wobbly, and that's not cool. <laughs> Nobody wants that. If you breaded them, like some people bread french fries, would could you get something mm. that way? Maybe. I mean, I hate a breaded french fry, but maybe. Yeah. It makes me wonder if you could double fry them like you would a toastone, right? The fried plantains, where you fry them once, and then you smash them, and you fry them again. I don't know. Sweet I mean, potatoes. if I'm going to make 40 pasties, I'm going to have to get some rutabagas. Yeah. Try some stuff out. Uh, so I, I think part of the, I don't know if there's a stigma around rutabagas, but I often confuse rutabaga and turnip. And, yeah. And um, also then turnip and radish. Yep. The difference being, you know, turnips are lighter weight-wise. They're not as dense. And our rutabaga has that. It kicks off a wax. Like, ladies and gentlemen, that's not a wax coating that's put on by anybody. Rutabaga develops a waxy s substance around the outside of it. And uh, they're weird. It's just a weird <laughs> thing. It's a weird vegetable-y root thing, you know. Yeah, if anyone has any rutabaga uh, recipes, any recipes that call for rutabaga um, that is not a pasty, let me know because I am curious. I believe I've had rutabaga mash. But I want to say it was half rutabaga, half potato anyway. So that's another one where it's just like, man, you were trying to stretch out potatoes. And who stretches out the thing you use to stretch out other things, you know? <laughs> for sure. But I don't know. You know what I've seen rutabagas used for? Uh, baiting deer for deer hunting. You put ah. rutabagas on the ground, and the deers come to eat those, and then you kill the deer. I want, Does it flavor the deer? Like, do, does rutabaga-fed deer <laughs> venison taste better than... Like corn-fed beef? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. Uh, rutabagas are weird. That's true. But I will have to get some. The, I don't have a recipe for a pasty crust. What I do have is I have a Cuban empanada dough that's amazing. <laughs> so I will probably just use that. Because pasties, let's just be clear. Pasties are just big, fat empanadas anyway. Yeah. Made by the Irish. So, yeah. Hand pies. They're hand pies. Yeah. I will have to make a decision because I've seen quite a variety of size. The pasties that I get from this place in Cadillac, Michigan, and I still have a, a deep-seated distrust of Cadillac, Michigan. <laughs> but there's one pasty shop there that I forget the name of. Their pasties are maybe five inches across, which is a shade smaller than I would make my pasties. I've seen them up to, like, this barely fits on a plate, right? Like, nine inches across. That's too much. 
Nobody wants like a shareable pasty. That's not the point. <laughs> so I think I'm going to shoot for like a seven, like a six or a seven inch pasty. But again, this is this is going to have to be a project now. I've been thinking about it too much. <laughs> nice. I would also say. Well, you tell me. Do you prefer diced meat or ground beef in your pasty? Uh, um, you know, I I don't know. I I want to I want to lean toward beef. Ground beef? Yeah. It's what I've had the most is ground beef pasties. I feel like that's the easiest. But I also have had a pasty. This goes back to my original statement that if a pasty is good, it ceases to be a pasty. That it, like, one of the components, (laughs) part of the definition of the thing is that it's not great. And if it is good, it becomes some sort of an artisan hand pie and stops being a pasty. Like, if country music is good, it stops being country music. It turns into something else, right? (laughs) I had a pasty at one point that had diced up beef in it that had clearly been cooked ahead and it didn't have a sauce but it did have some sort of a liquid in there not like it wasn't full of sauce but the the beef had been cooked in such a way that it was still a little bit damp with whatever the cooking juice was it was really good almost to the point of like nah this isn't a pasty anymore but lots of rutabaga in there which brought it back down (laughs) so that one balanced out yeah (laughs) um well, you were close. I think the rutabagas in there are not for balance, but for ballast. <laughs> <laughs> like, what I want to do is cook all of my fillings first, which I think is not how you're supposed to do a pasty. I think everything's supposed to go in raw, and then the baking process cooks it. But, like, that's leaving too much up to chance, man. Like, I want to do a diced beef, you know, rutabaga, carrot, onion, celery, potato cook all of that in a pan cool it down and use that to fill the pasties i think that's what i want to do i'd say do it i mean and i think you're right judging just from what i one of the early early even british bake-offs when they did british uh meat pies and they they were like you need to i think for the the rules for that challenge were that everything had to be cooked with the uh with the pie or they were yeah. just talking about the people that were doing it that way, which is the traditional way versus people that were cooking the meat ahead of time. And the judges were like, oh, I want to make sure you get that cooked. <laughs> um, well, that and that gives me the option of being more uh, precise with filling, right? Like, I'm that nerd. I have ice cream scoops. I've got a red one. That's two ounces. I've got a green one. That's four ounces. Like, I can really dial that in and know how much to produce, how much to, uh, to portion out for each one, right? Like, I can, I can make them very consistent nobody gives a shit about that stuff except me (laughs) well and i think if you were going to freeze them then couldn't you leave the last bit of cooking like put them in the dough and freeze them there before you actually cook them and then and then when you're heating them up you're uh, crisping up the dough and you're good to go yeah it would make cooking them to serve take longer because you are having to cook that dough but yeah you totally could although again pasties freeze cooked really well Okay. very forgiving structure whenever you get them so like if you happen to be in cadillac and you go to that place that's like next to a gun shop or something they're they're cooked they're all cooked they're cooked frozen which is actually kind of nice because it is such a dense thing that it is cheating but i'll throw them in the microwave for two minutes and then put them into the oven <laughs> so that they are going to get crisped back up but i know yeah. they're going to get heated through before the outside chars you know yeah 
<laughs> uh, the trials and tribulations of pasties. It's. I'm. I'm glad that I came to this realization that if you elevate a pasty, you have removed some sort of an essential characteristic of the pasty itself. So now I have no desire to elevate it. Like I'm not gonna make an elk pasty because that's not. That's an elk, you know, artisanal Cornish hand pie, right, or some shit like that. Yeah. It's not a pasty anymore. To be a pasty, it still has to be kind of like, eh, it's okay bordering yeah. on like pretty good that's the range yeah. you want to be in okay to pretty good i've also had bad pasties so there is the scale does go down you can have a bad pasty i've had those but at a certain level you you graduate up out of this pasty is pretty good into this is something else entirely now. yes yeah which is i mean we need we need to create different names for pizzas um yeah. but you know i've never had no, I've had some bad pizza. There, yeah. there are, there's definitely bad pizza out there, but most pizza falls within the range of still pizza to really good pizza. Right. Um, and then there's got to be a at some point it's like, well, this is fine, but it's no longer pizza. <laughs> well, yes, when you get like uh, a hearth baked, no tomato sauce, just olive oil, and like burrata cheese. Uh, it, arugula shaved truffle pizza no 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 no, no. that's some sort of a of an artisan flatbread thing right, right? yeah it's that's a, not a pizza anymore right it's definitely some kind of bread it's like the the on pompeii right where they found that mural yeah. like it's yeah, the first yeah, pizza exactly. and they're like no it's not because tomatoes weren't <laughs> yeah hadn't made it to italy yet so it really can't be a pizza so i don't know if that's the defining thing if that's the line we want to draw but again it's a qualification i would say dough tomato sauce cheese that is pizza that is like baseline pizza and anything else you want to say you have to qualify it so if you're having a pizza that's got alfredo it's a white pizza right but you can't just be like right yes you can't point at it and just go pizza because it's yeah. not right and so the qualification which is fine it doesn't take anything away from that but you have to understand that there is like an er pizza which is crust sauce tomato sauce in particular cheese yeah now, now speaking of um, the, those kind of qualifications and that sort of thing, um, you sent me this a long time ago, and I think I just realized as I was going back through some of our texts um, what it was. So you sent me this. It's a, a screenshot of a tweet of a cheeseburger from Burger King <laughs> in, in Thailand. Um, That's just and, a stack of American cheese? <laughs> yes. Um, now... So this is this is the question though because this was what I ran into in Wales. Yeah. I ordered a cheeseburger and it was a piece of breaded and fried halloumi on a bun. Yeah, yeah, which sounds delicious, but you have to be aware that's what you're going to get. Right. And so what does burger mean? And right. how how do, because for me burger has got to be some kind of meat. Like the burger right. is the the patty, that's the burger. Not not the fact that it's on a bun. So I don't know. But in Europe, evidently, that's not the case. A burger is, you know, can be anything. <laughs> and so in this case, although this looks vile, especially the one that they have there, which I can't. The, the, the picture that is supposed to be the Burger King one, the cheese actually looks a little melted. This one is just there's no <laughs> heat applied at all. It's the world's worst uh, grilled cheese because it's not grilled and it's like a whole pack of american slices on a uh, on a bun but uh um but 
it would be still considered a burger even i think in in europe so that's where i like what does that mean to other people because to me it means there's a meat patty of some kind now we've so we've run into this before like you you told your story about the the halloumi which again sounds awesome um i think it's worth noting that right off the bat the the meat inside of a burger is called the hamburger patty yes and so it's already qualified as being a component of the thing, not the thing itself, right? So the definition here from dictionary.com, noun burger, a dish consisting of a round patty of ground beef or sometimes another savory ingredient that's fried or grilled and typically served in a split bun or roll with various condiments and toppings. That does leave a lot of wiggle room, and it makes me wonder if burger is simply another category of sandwich that we've previously overlooked where like a fried chicken sandwich could fall under the umbrella of burger it just happens to be a fried chicken burger and a cheeseburger because it's not indicating that it has a meat patty in it like you encountered would still qualify because they don't say oh it's a beef burger with cheese on it it's a cheeseburger it's a burger that's made out of cheese right yeah like a chicken burger would be a burger made out of chicken or a turkey burger which i guess is more common well, but even that, okay, so first of all, I, I know that for me, when I w- ordered the cheeseburger, that's definitely like, it was just me being an American interpreting <laughs> cheeseburger like an American would, which is, yeah. it's a burger with cheese on it, not a burger made of cheese entirely. Um, but right. when I hear turkey burger or chicken burger, I also expect those to be ground meat. Yeah. I don't expect it to be a hunk of turkey, <laughs> you know, on a, on a bun. <clears throat> like a turkey cutlet sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and and so if it's a beef burger, all beef patty or whatever, I'm not expecting like a steak or, yeah. you know, some other cut of, of beef. I'm expecting it to be ground beef. So the cheeseburger, at the very least, should be ground cheese. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just like a handful of shredded mozzarella on a bun. Yeah, maybe mixed with other, like you throw a bunch of different different cheeses in there and maybe with some spices yeah. and stuff too. Like, right, shouldn't it be a little, definitely more effort than this monstrosity <laughs> that you sent me the picture yeah. of, of the American slices on a bun. But is and the I bun... Don't, I don't know how serious that is. Yeah. Is the bun the only thing that is that that makes it a burger then? A round bun? Because beef on whack is on a, well, I guess that's on a Kaiser, right? Usually. Yeah, Kaiser roll, which is still a round bun. Yeah, that's. I was thinking the exact same thing. So, I having don't know. said that, when we were at CJ's and I was in my wild phase, I did make a burger that instead of a bun was served on two grilled cheese sandwiches, which I think still counts because, like, a patty melt is on rye, you know. But I don't know that now that I've said it out loud, I don't know that you would call a patty melt a burger. It's a different right. thing. Yeah. Kind of want I, a patty melt now. I wouldn't. I, I and patty melt just has cheese built in, so yeah. For that one, if you're you know, I would, again, I would expect a patty of some kind and something yeah. melted over it. Um, not just a cheese patty with more cheese peppermint on top. Peppermint patty. <laughs> it's just a melt. York, York peppermint patty melt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could. That's the so... only thing that would be worse than a tuna melt right there. What bread would you have to put that on? <laughs> Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> so what? what are you melting over it? Oh, you got me on that one. Unless it's like, unless it's like big league chew. <laughs> oh no, no, you ruined it. You were onto something there for a minute. You almost had fair food. 
But Big League, uh, oh, big so league case, 2 is shredded. Yeah, that that was what drew me to it. But I mean, mascarpone cheese is kind of sweet-ish. Okay. It's a little bit more like it's it's well, or yeah, cream cheese. Maybe a ricotta. Uh, ricotta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're onto something. And uh, batter it, fry it, and you've got a new fair food. <laughs> Let's go to Wisconsin right now. <laughs> the York peppermint patty melt. Yowzer. Trying to figure out a way to make peppermint patty melt into a stripper name, but I think that doesn't cross over. No, and that's because all you can imagine is peppermint patty from uh, Charlie Brown. From the Peanuts, yep. Yep, and yeah. uh, not a good stripper. So I feel like in the United States, if you say burger, it will be a beef patty unless otherwise indicated, and then other shit on top of it, round bun. Yes. In the rest of the world, burger means sandwich of some sort on a round bun that's hot but it does not include a beef patty unless that part is indicated i think we can that's that's fine to make a distinction internationally that way yeah and it also seemed to me and this could be just my american arrogance that they were taking the term from um america and applying it to other things um right right um which i probably is only a defense for my ignorance but um yeah i think i think that's true so if you're traveling internationally beware of anything that says burger just in terms of you know read the ingredients to so that you know what you're getting you don't have to be aware yeah, about yeah. eating it because the thing i had was delicious it was fine i was just surprised because it was just a giant chunk of cheese on a bun um <laughs> i'm in i'm totally in yeah and i mean they had other stuff on the bun too like you would a burger it's just there was no you know um there's no meat on it. And it yeah. may have been their vegetarian option, too. I don't know. But, uh, um, you know, it's just uh, one of those things. Did I, to, to stick with cheese, did I tell you about my father's reaction to the Mars Cheese Castle chicken soup cheese? No. Oh, man. Ladies and gentlemen, I went to Mars Cheese Castle on my way back from working at a school in Wisconsin where I believe I helped them out. But, you know, I mean, jury's still out on that. And I bought chicken soup cheese we talked about it we talked about it right yes on this show okay to recap it was clearly cheese that had dehydrated onion celery and and carrots in it and then these suspicious yellow streaks that we had pretty much decided was just like chicken soup base like dried (laughs) chicken soup bouillon powder whatever however rollicking success if what they wanted to do was make cheese that eerily tasted like chicken soup (laughs) and so i was going to visit my folks with my kids that next week and so we went up to traverse city michigan for a while and uh that was fun and i said to my dad hey dad would you like to try this thing and he was like i don't like the way you just said that (laughs) and i said you're right to be suspicious so i had him try it and he went and i told him what it was and he said you know what that tastes too much like chicken soup that's weird i think i like it but i think i hate it (laughs) (laughs) and it's that notion of being tricked like that cheese in particular is tricky it tricks you it's like hey but i'm a soup but i'm a cheese like that's mean that's weird you know uh however i loved it it's my new favorite cheese (laughs) did you make a grilled cheese out of it no i have not i still have a little bit of it left i may still try to do that that's but I don't have any chicken soup to eat that grilled cheese sandwich with, so yeah. I don't know. There's not many cheeses that if you're doing, like, uh, cheese and crackers, 
that I would serve with saltines, but that would be one. I have had it with saltines. Yeah. So it's one of those, like, I've seen a lot of different cheeses in my time, and some have been great, and some have not been great. And this one ranks pretty darn high. Just for, like, you know what? If you're going to be silly, be really silly, but also do the thing. If it was chicken soup cheese, but it didn't taste enough like chicken soup, it would have been a failure, right? However, at the same time, making a cheese taste like chicken soup is kind of a violation of both things. (laughs) So you have to be careful with that, too. But I got to say, yeah, very well done for what it is. Now, am I going to sit down and eat a pound of it like every day? No, that'd be crazy talk. (laughs) Now, see, the other thing is like chicken soup cheese could be cheese intended to put on chicken soup, not necessarily that tastes like chicken soup. So it's just... One of the wonders of the English language. Like, uh, well, we talked about this in the previous episode that, like, do I want to caramelize a bunch of onions, dehydrate them, make my own French onion soup cheese? Yeah, I kind of do. Yeah. I really kind (laughs) of want to do that. Uh, That sounds like it would take a long time. I mean, that's cutting up. That would be infinitely better for, like, road trips than trying to bring uh, French onion soup on the road trip and eat it while you're driving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No question. But if you were to make French onion soup cheese make a grilled cheese sandwich out of it you're cutting the whole soup aspect out of it which is great just have a glass of water with that you're fine yeah i mean we used to love it when i worked at the restaurant when the uh, french onion soup would die in the window we're like uh we can no longer serve this but you know what we can do is eat the cheese off the top (laughs) right yeah literally the server's bread and butter yeah (laughs) all right do we have anything we can talk about for just like five minutes i do have oh i have one more thing i want to say about that uh yeah I have to leave fairly soon to pick my son up from his high school orientation. I'm about to have a high schooler lives in my house, Steve. But to go back to burgers real fast, sort of, they're doing these like uh, icebreaker question things at my son's school. And one of them was they did this thing called Four Corners uh, Debate, where one physical corner of the room was agree, one was disagree, one was strongly agree, one was strongly disagree. And the adult in charge would say a statement and you would go to that corner that fit you and then defend it and uh the statement was a hot dog is a sandwich and cyrus my son went to strongly disagree and after he had said the things he needed to say about it another kid questioned him and he went my dad's a chef and he won the debate (laughs) (laughs) even the adult in the room was like all right (laughs) so strongly disagree that a hot dog is a sandwich although he and i had a long discussion and i think we need to add something to what you and i have talked about in the past steve which is a hot dog is a frankfurter in a bun with stuff on it so the question isn't is a hot dog a sandwich it's more what is the essential qualification of being a hot dog itself because if you were to replace that frankfurter with a brat that's not a hot dog Right. Even though it's roughly the same shape thing in the same bun. So the question, is a hot dog a sandwich, is kind of silly because it has to be those particular things together, right? So if you were to take a frankfurter and put it on rye, that is also not a hot dog because it's a frankfurter sausage on rye, right? Yeah. And so the question, now that I've looked at it from that perspective, is kind of silly. If you're not taking a frankfurter and putting it into a bun then it's not a hot dog at all and it's certainly not a sandwich yeah like that that entire thing requires that componentry to be that thing but it's not anything else 
Um, but similar to the burger situation, you go to, when you go to the grocery store to buy hot dogs, you're not going to buy uh, something that's a composed edible yeah. product. You're going to the uh, cooler section to buy the frankfurters. Yes, and uh, that's another labeling issue, right? So my dad, while we were up at his house visiting, had purchased cornmeal because he wanted to make cornbread with my daughter because they're reading a series of books where in one of the books the kids make cornbread. And my dad looked at me and he goes, I don't know if I got the right stuff. This says polenta on it. And I said, well, that's a lie. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, polenta is a dish. You make polenta out of this particular cornmeal. But it's not polenta until you've cooked it with onions and garlic and you've got some <laughs> liquid and you're stirring the cornmeal in there and you're mounting it with butter and maybe you're putting cheese in. That's polenta, right? That would be like labeling a bag of flour pancakes. It's not yeah. pancakes. You have to make that. Yes, that's what you make it out of, but you have to make it. Labeling requirements are laughably lax in this country. So you can write polenta on the outside of a bag of cornmeal. It would have been just as valid to write cornbread on the outside of that bag of cornmeal <laughs> and then people are going to get home and go this ain't cornbread this is fucking cornmeal right <laughs> so there's that too you look at a pack of hot dogs it's a pack of frankfurters or in some part of the country they call them wieners which is hilarious to me because i'm still 14 in my head but it's not a hot dog it's not a hot dog until you've cooked it and put it into that bun that whole thing is the hot dog right yeah and even then you can qualify it as a chicago hot dog or right yeah, if what you want is three pounds of other shit on there, yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I enjoy a Chicago-style hot dog. But again, people who are against ketchup on hot dogs, fucking mind your business. <laughs> Quit looking at my food. <laughs> That's the t-shirt we need. Quit looking at my food. <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> it occurred to me today that I want us to have a t-shirt that's the no left turn sign, but huge. And then on the back, it says, nobody owes you a left turn. And somebody honk at me today while I was driving. And I was like, I'm not going to let you out of this alley to make a left turn across four lanes of traffic, you moron. Get out of town. <laughs> yeah, turn right, turn around. Be, be a exactly. human. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, that alley has two exits. You could easily have gone the other way. <laughs> Unreal. All right, so how do you want to wrap up, Steve? Like I said, I've got to get moving here in a minute to pick my son up from the actual thing he's doing right now. His, <laughs> they're, they're off. It's my kids. My kids make choices, right? They're human beings. They make choices. They're offering a lunch at the orientation. Uh, my son does not want to have school lunch until he has to have school lunch. So I <laughs> pick him up right when the thing is over so we can come home and he can have lunch. I love it. Whatever. I'm on summer break. I've already written my menus through Thanksgiving. I'm in the process of hiring. I don't really have any other job requirements right now. My boss is in Toronto, so he's not bothering me. It's great. I can totally pick my son up right when they let him out and bring him home and we can make sandwiches. <laughs> I love it. I think your son is a wise man. <laughs> he has such a disdain for school lunch. A, because I'm a chef, and B, because I make school lunch scratch with six other cooks and uh he knows the quality of the food that i produce and so he looks at his chicago public school lunch he's like, what is this garbage what am i being fed yeah. but he eats it because he doesn't care because he knows the quality of the food he's going to get here at home so whatever the middle of his day just has this culinary dip in it you know <laughs> they're bringing in boxes to just say school lunch on them uh, <laughs> like, this is a not white box correctly. just says school lunch and block <laughs> yeah. lettering <laughs> gross 
All right, Steve, anything else we want to talk about before we wrap this up? I think I'm all right. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, if you want to wade into the is the hot dog a sandwich uh, debate, <laughs> if you have online or phone or whatever contact with your boss during your off hours that you would like to let us know about, um, please do let us know about those things. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram, where you can see all of the fancy shit that I make at home that my kids are then forced to eat, is Chef Ben Randall. I'm on it goddamn constantly. Steve, real quick, are you on threads yet? No, not yet. Yeah, I, I did just because it was super, super easy, but threads is kind of dumb and boring, so we'll see if it actually <laughs> does compete with Twitter. I'm on Twitter, but I'm mainly on Twitter to remind myself that lots, big swaths of humanity are uh, very stupid, and then I go back to thinking that I'm better than they are. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group if you just uh, search for In the Weeds of Ben Randall. And Steve runs a website for us. InTheWeedsWBR.com. And you can find all kind of background information uh, regarding the articles that Steve and I talk about. Or in this case, I had like five open tabs on my computer of things we were going to talk about today. And we talked about hiring for an hour instead. Yeah. So <laughs> you can read about things we didn't talk about at all on that website and or buy merch if you want to dress like a couple of very early 40s uh guys because <laughs> i think the only ones we're selling merch to is me <laughs> right i did now. i did uh someone i think bought a um uh emergency meat service sticker no oh, nice the other day yeah stickers we've got to get more into stickers i've i've gotten way into stickers recently i was sent a sticker pack from a, a, an internet friend of mine and I bought a sticker from the coffee shop I was telling you about earlier that is just a big coffee mug and it says coffee is my love language. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to put that yet. But that might end up going on the coffee maker at work. Nice. Because who's going to tell me not to? <laughs> All right. So I, even though it's already Wednesday and we'll put an episode out this week already, I've got nothing going on this weekend, so we can record again this weekend if you want to. We can actually try to hit all those articles that we uh, missed today. Uh, yeah, we uh, Saturday would be better. Sunday is going to be busy, and then Kayla and I leave for Connecticut for a week. Gotcha. Ooh, are you going to have, was it Connecticut that had the steamed cheeseburger? They do. We're, I think we're going to oh. try to find it, yeah. Nice. If you do, pictures, please. Yes. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll try to make one here, too nice Which, even though it sounds gross <laughs> it does sound kind of gross all right so ladies and gentlemen till uh how do i usually wrap this up for in the weeds with ben randall i am ben randall <laughs> and i'm stephen cadwell talk at you next week bye-bye or maybe later this week <laughs>